Colts after going undrafted this past spring. And now he's decided the football days are over, the coaching days are upon him. So I'm talking about keeping it all in the family at Oklahoma on staff. Obviously, there are so many interpersonal relationships and so many connections that a lot of these guys have to Venables or to Oklahoma. Even when you think about the off-field staffers, guys like Ryan Young cross paths with Venables at Kansas State. So even those guys that don't have ostensible connections to Oklahoma have connections to Venables and other members of this staff. What's interesting with Skalski is that his dad played for Barry Switzer. I did, did you I'll know be that? Honest, Connor, I, I, I did, did not know. know that. I did not know either. Yeah, I but. found that out when everybody else found that out, which was last night when Skalski posted the picture to his Instagram, uh, where it's it's his dad in an Oklahoma uniform uh, back in what nineteen eighty eighty three. Yes, he wore number ninety six for Oklahoma in eighty three. So there you go. Skalski not only has connections to Brent Venables, but who would have thought he's got connections to Oklahoma? via his father. So, James Skalski, the newest addition to the Oklahoma staff as a defensive graduate assistant. Uh, But beyond that, Connor, I think the big storyline this weekend that we have to start with is this PWO pipeline that Oklahoma's building within state lines. Now, for those of you that follow OK Preps High School Sports very closely, for those of you that follow our coverage over on krefsports.tv, these names will mean something to you. Andrew Heinig out of Glenpool. Jacob Snyder from Bixby. Cale Fugate also from Bixby. All three, I expect to be Oklahoma Sooners. Heinig has already announced his commitment. Jacob Snyder has long since announced his commitment. I, ex- I expect Fugate to follow. So when you're talking about names that carry weight on the OK Preps high school football scene, uh, those three guys are pretty high on the list. Names that that people in the state of Oklahoma are familiar with, names, guys that had an outstanding career at the prep level in the state of Oklahoma. And so here's here's where I stand on this whole thing, Connor, and I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill because I know we'll have people on the text line instantaneously saying, well, none of these guys will ever play down at Oklahoma. It really doesn't matter to me, Connor, because – Obviously, when you're talking about preferred walk-ons, you're not bringing those guys in necessarily with the expectation that they're going to be multi-year starters and NFL guys at your institution, right? But the whole point of a preferred walk-on is that it doesn't cost you a scholarship. And all it takes is two or three of those guys to hit every single year. And all of a sudden, you've got a really solid PWO program to complement the scholarship guys that you're bringing in on the recruiting trail as well. If you get a Drake Stoops or a Gavin Freeman every single year, if that's all it is, if you just have one guy every single year that ends up popping, ends up playing a good deal as a preferred walk-on, you'll take that. That's a win. That's a major win. We've seen what Drake Stoops ended up being, but the Jacob Snyder kid, I mean, Bigsby, a kid that's won – a lot of football games. I mean, he can come in and work his tail off and eventually find a spot. I mean, that's what you hope to see out of one of those uh, preferred walk-ons. Well, and it goes back to culture, too, right? Because, again, the meat and potatoes of championship DNA is built with 
scholarship players generally from out of state because you're only going to get so many kids from within state lines every year that are capable of being multi-year starters NFL guys at the University of Oklahoma. So you have to recruit out of state, and that has to be the lifeblood. But when you're talking about culture, when you're trying to build a championship culture, these are the guys that are going to help that effort because one thing you never have to deal with when you're talking about guys like that is you don't have to deal with entitlement. Kind of like you said, Connor, those guys aren't coming in with the expectation that they're going to play, that they're going to have anything handed to them, uh, that they're going to be the toast of the town. No, they're going to come in, they're going to work in the weight room and on the practice field, they're going to fight like hell to earn a spot on the depth chart, whether it's in the lineup or in the two deep or third or fourth string somewhere. These are guys that just want to be Sooners. And you can't have enough of those guys yep. in your locker room, especially yep. when they're not costing you scholarship spots. Yeah, show up to practice every day. You have one motor. They got nothing to lose coming in with the preferred walk-on spot, and you bring in that that winning attitude that Venables is wanting. And a, a Bigsby kid, bring in a Bigsby kid that's, you know what Bigsby has been for the last three or four years. But And schools in this neck of the woods, in this area of the country, I think of OU and Nebraska primarily. Those are two programs that you look at their championship teams of years gone by. There was a very substantial PWO presence with both of those programs. When they were at their best, they were getting contributions from guys that were walk-ons, guys that just showed up because they wanted to wear that uniform. Somebody on the text line asked, will you please define preferred walk-on? So for those unfamiliar A preferred walk-on is, in essence, a player that is guaranteed a roster spot at Oklahoma. So they don't have to try out. They can show up to campus and know, I'm on the football team. I got a helmet. I got shoulder pads. I got that uniform. I'm a member of the team. But they are not given an athletic scholarship. They're responsible for paying their own way, getting there on their own dime, and sustaining themselves financially throughout that whole process. Now, in a scenario where you end up with a guy like Drake Stoops, for instance, who pretty immediately proves that he is worthy of a scholarship, there may come a point in time down the road where you're granted one. And that happened for Drake Stoops, I believe, after his redshirt sophomore season. Uh, He was given a scholarship by Lincoln Riley and the Oklahoma staff at the time. Uh Kendall on the text line says, I know an Owasso kid who could have benefited from the PWO program. (laughs) I have no doubt, Kendall. But again, this is something that you have to be selective with. Uh, You can't can't take 40, 50 in-state kids as preferred walk-ons every single year because then you got too many cooks in the kitchen. Your roster's at like 140, 150 players, and that's just too many. Yeah, you want to bring in the right handful of preferred walk-on kids. And I think Oklahoma, in bringing in guys like Andrew Heinig and Jacob Snyder, potentially a guy like Kill Fugate as well, you're taking the right steps in that direction because you're making sure that the best talent within state lines that isn't going elsewhere on scholarship, or in some cases is going somewhere else on scholarship, i.e. Gavin Freeman last year, you're making sure that those guys stay in state, that they're wearing the crimson and cream, and that they're benefiting your culture by pushing the depth chart from the bottom up, providing healthy competition, making it such that 
the scholarship guys have to constantly be looking over their shoulder at these walk-on dudes who don't have anything handed to them. And they can see these guys working their tails off and pushing them for their spots on the roster, on the depth chart, rather. Yeah, so, push, yeah, pushing those starters every day of practice. Frisco Sooner says not to mention special teams help, too. That's where it starts with some of those preferred walk-ons kids if they want to earn a spot. That's the position where it comes from, the special teams. Just keep working your way up. The two players in the history of Oklahoma football that have appeared in the most games were both preferred walk-ons. Long snapper Casey Kelleher and linebacker Brian Mead. Casey Kelleher came from Ohio. Brian Mead came from right here in the state of Oklahoma. Tulsa Rejoice Christian. And those two guys each participated in 65 games as Oklahoma Sooners. And Mead started a handful of games, too. He did. And I, I he's not a super popular guy among no, the fans <laughs> because he... He had a couple very memorable coverage busts. I think back to the 2020 Kansas State game where he caught a lot of flack from the fans uh, for, I think it was it was Keon Mosey that beat him on that angle route that helped kind of turn the momentum in favor of Kansas State. So it wasn't all sunshine and roses for those guys. But again, if you get one or two of those players every single year, that's going to substantially help your program's bottom line. All right, as we get ready for a break here on Steel Man and Thune at Noon, coming up next, we're going to field your texts. The texts are popping off on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. You guys got opinions. You guys got questions. We're going to hit as many as we can coming up. At 1235, we're going to touch base with John Williams, managing editor of Sooners Wire, to discuss Oklahoma football and recruiting. We'll talk about the lingering situation with Jeff Lebby and the rumored flirtations with Alabama that simply persist. I don't know where they come from. I don't know why they persist, but they persist nonetheless. So we will get to all of that in the hour to come here on Steel Man and Thune at Noon. Again, no Mike Steely today. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby rolling with you. Keep it right here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back. Back with you here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Steel Man and Thune. At noon. No steel man today. Out with a toothache. But listed as probable for Tuesday's show. So, should be a 24-hour recovery timetable, or so we're told, for Steely. Parker Thune rolling with Connor Pasby here with you on the Ref Sports Radio Network all across the Sooner State and worldwide. I'm sure come the 2 o'clock hour, Tyler McComas will have the full update on just how many states and countries the Ref Army is listening from. Look forward to that, as always. You want to give us a call? Do so on the Riverwind Casino jackpot line or just shoot us a text on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. As we prepare to go to the Air Comfort Solutions text line here again, coming up next segment, we're going to talk to John Williams, managing editor of Sooners Wire, get his take on the Jeff Levy situation. Uh, The rumors that just refuse to die that Lebby is in the mix to be Alabama's next offensive coordinator. The weird thing, Connor, is that Alabama's offensive coordinator job isn't even officially open right now. No, it's not, no. Now, granted, it's a foregone conclusion that Bill Bill O'Brien isn't returning, but for the moment, there is no vacancy at offensive coordinator at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, there was some smoke about it with Lebby, and then, man, it picked up, what, last week? And just goes up even more. It's interesting. I mean... 
it just it blows my mind. <laughs> all OU fans really attacking Lebby all season and then wanting him to stay and then has a chance to go out of Alabama. So we'll see how all this goes down. Uh, yet, needless to say, we will discuss that in great detail coming up next segment with John Williams of Sooners Wire. Uh, by the way, it's official. Uh, what I hinted at last segment is now public. Kale Fugate, Bixby, Oklahoma athlete, is committed to the University of Oklahoma. So there you go. So Another two, big time two in big, state PWO. Two Bixby kids now? Yeah, man. Like here's the, here's the deal. Here's the way I look at it, Connor. It is no particular secret to anybody that follows OK Preps that Bixby has been the dominant force across the state over the last five years. However, what they've done is they've become a dominant force despite the fact that none of their players as individuals seem to garner Power 5 looks. Now, you have some exceptions. Luke and Dylan has, obviously, this past season. Both went to Arkansas on scholarship. Luke was a four-star at tight end. Dylan was a three-star at defensive back. So, they are not without elite athletes. You think back to Braylon Presley, another Bixby guy uh, that was nationally acclaimed as a recruit. But for the most part, it's just guys that all they know is to execute their responsibility on the football field. They're good athletes. They're not necessarily elite athletes, but what sets them apart is their ability to play within the system and do what they need to do for the good of the team. And so you can't have too many guys like this in your locker room. If you're getting PWOs from Bixby every single year, again, I think that's one of those things that in a very understated manner is just good for your program's bottom line. Yeah, they're all they're all tough-nosed kids with a winning a winning attitude, and that Fugate kid, uh, a really good defensive back for Bigsby. Isn't that the kid that had, I think it was four picks in a game this he did. year? He had yeah, four in picks first, and a half. In, yeah, in the first half. Four picks and a half, returned three of them for touchdowns. So, a really solid so player, Playmaker, yes. Yes. Yep. yes, Kendall, Braylon Presley was a guy that Oklahoma passed on. We're all aware. We know how that situation went down, and like at, at a certain point, you could just go ahead and – I. I'm okay with blaming that one on Muleshoe. If you want to lay all the blame on Lincoln Riley for that one, I'm okay with it because uh, he never looked Braylon Presley's way because he had Ray Leak Brown committed in the class, and then he went to USC and took Ray Leak Brown with him and left OU up a creek without a paddle in the recruitment of Braylon Presley. But, uh, yes, Braylon Presley was a guy that the former staff at Oklahoma did pass on. Uh, 918 listener says, do you think Arkansas, Arkansas still offers Dylan has if they weren't recruiting Luke? Probably not a scholarship. Uh, I think the offer to Dylan was to solidify Luke's commitment. Uh, and I don't think that's any particular secret. Uh, elsewhere on the text line here, tell us about Taylor Heim. Now, this was interesting, Connor, because this was an offer that went out on Friday evening to my recollection. We were already off the air, I think it was maybe 5.30 or 6 in the evening, that the offer went out to Taylor Heim, the three-star athlete out of Bethany, Oklahoma. Now, this is a scholarship offer in the 2023 class. Taylor Heim is a guy that has a scholarship at the University of Oklahoma if he wants it. Now, this is a kid that was a very late riser as a recruit. I don't think he held an offer until midway through his senior season, and at that point it was 
FCS programs. It was the service academies that were coming after him. And then eventually you got the group of five programs starting to turn their heads and look his way. Air Force offered, North Texas offered, uh, Louisiana Tech offered. Tulsa, Tulsa, yeah, Tulsa jumped in late. Kevin Wilson and his staff offered Taylor Heim last week, and he was actually on an official visit to TU this past weekend. So I'm intrigued to see where this recruitment goes over the course of the next week and a half because you look at his offer sheet, it's blatantly clear that Oklahoma is by far the most prestigious offer the kid has. But to me, this is a real litmus test for Kevin Wilson and his staff at Tulsa. Can you convince a kid like this, who's a late riser and who picks up this Oklahoma offer less than two weeks before National Signing Day, can you convince him that he's better off being the big man on campus at a place like TU that suddenly has some hype, has some direction under Kevin Wilson, who was a phenomenal ad as their new head coach? Can you convince a guy that he's better off being somewhere like Tulsa where maybe he has more of an opportunity or rather more immediate opportunity to be the guy. And a, be- a, better, chance, like a better chance to play right away, too, or very soon. And you're a freshman, even yeah, even sophomore year in college. Yeah, because this kid's athletic. Don't get me wrong. About six foot four, uh, shy of 200 pounds right now, so he's going to need to bulk up. He's going to need to add weight. But he can play either side of the football. I tend to like him at linebacker. I think that's where his future is. But if he comes to Oklahoma, he's in all likelihood not a guy that's seeing the field in year one. And probably not very much in year two either. He's a project at a place like Oklahoma. Yeah, it's, At Tulsa, it's, you show up and just by virtue of sheer athleticism, you have the opportunity to see the field right away in year one. Yeah, it's very intriguing. Because if you look at the list, I mean, it goes Air Force, Tech, or Louisiana Tech, Ohio, Tulsa, and Oklahoma. That's the one that stands out. The only uh, Power Five conference to offer him. Yeah, I believe you're correct. As of right now, Oklahoma is his only Power 5 offer. So, again, you'd be led to believe that this is a recruiting battle that Oklahoma will win if they push for Taylor Heim. If they make it clear that he's wanted at Oklahoma, this is a battle that Oklahoma should win more often than not. But again, I'm intrigued by Tulsa here because that's a program that has more going for it than it has in a long, long time under the direction of Kevin Wilson. So it feels to me like this is the type of win that Tulsa could really use on the recruiting trail, and I would expect that they will push very hard down the stretch here on the other side of Taylor Himes' official visit to make him part of the Golden Hurricane. We're uh, we're getting some talk about a Virginia linebacker. Do you know anything about that? Uh, Yes, we are. So that would be Nick Jackson who has upwards of 100 tackles in each of the last three seasons for Virginia. That's a guy that in he is in the transfer portal. He was on campus at Oklahoma this last weekend. And, yes, there is a good chance he ends up in the Crimson and Cream. That's a guy that I think Oklahoma needs, Connor, because you look at the linebacker room, you're really banking on Jaron Kanick exploding in a big way next year when you look at the depth across the board because Desan McCullough is going to start at Cheetah. Danny Stutzman's going to start at one backer spot. You're banking on Jaron Kanick being the guy at the other spot, but even so, when you evaluate the depth in that linebacker room, you're not much better off than you were this past year when you had your starting three linebackers each playing upwards of 85% of your defensive snaps. So, to me, 
Another scholarship linebacker, especially one with Nick Jackson's resume. Again, 100-plus tackles in each of the last three seasons. That's a guy that you cannot go wrong with. And honestly, I'm surprised it took this long for Oklahoma to push for a portal linebacker, but it does look like they put a red eye on Nick Jackson. And I I don't want to make it seem as though he's certainly going to be in Oklahoma sooner, but I think on the heels of that visit this past weekend, OU's got a very good shot at bringing that guy to Norman. Yeah, so. doesn't help to bring in a guy with a lot of experience. Like you said, over 100 tackles uh, coming into a linebacker room that's Still a little bit young, going to be a little bit better uh, this season. But, yeah, that, that's a guy that's played a lot of football and has started a lot of games for Virginia. Yeah, and I looping back around to the Taylor Hyde thing, I will say, one thing that this has done is it has dredged up the Malachi Coleman discourse again. Understandably so, because at this point in the cycle, you're a week out from National Sign Day, and you decide, you know what, we're going to take this in-state kid as a pure athlete, and we'll find a spot for him. Naturally, that leaves people wondering, okay, why on earth weren't you willing to do the same thing for Malachi Coleman, who wanted to be at Oklahoma and is a national top 100 prospect? So So it says, Parker, do you know how many scholarship OU has left for 2023? I don't know exactly. There's no uh, there's no easy way to get a definitive answer on that. I do know that the numbers are very very limited very low, right now. Yeah. And I I do know at this point they're probably going to have to process at least one or two guys over the course of the spring to make the numbers work. I think they're in the red right now. Uh north of 85. So they're going to have to cut the numbers somehow, I believe, especially if they bring in Nick Jackson and especially if they get a commitment from Taylor Hunt. Okay, on the other side of the break, Sooners Wire Managing Editor John Williams. We will talk Jeff Lebby with him. We will talk Michael Hawkins, the four-star quarterback commit that has decided to push back his commitment day, which was initially set for next Tuesday. We'll talk about that quite a bit coming up on Locked In in the 2 o'clock hour, but we'll discuss it with John Williams, among other things related to Sooner football, coming up next. This is Steelman and Thune at noon on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Keep it here. It is the Ref Sports Radio Network, Steel Man and Thune at Noon. We are down Steely today. He has been sidelined with a toothache, for those of you just joining. Parker Thune, Connor Pasby rolling with you here on the Ref Sports Radio Network until 2 p.m., at which point Tyler McComas and I will get you locked in from 2 to 3, talking all things Oklahoma football recruiting. Now we are joined on the Riverwind Casino jackpot line. By John Williams, Sooners Wire Managing Editor, to discuss Oklahoma football. And I think the natural place to start here, John, is obviously these lingering rumors surrounding Jeff Levy's future. And it's become apparent over the last couple of weeks that Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide are at the very least interested in bringing on Jeff Levy as their new offensive coordinator. I personally find it very tough to imagine that there's a situation short of a watershed amount of money handed out to Jeff Levy to be the OC at Alabama. I'd find it very hard to believe outside of a circumstance like that, that he would walk away from his alma mater after just one year as OC. But as you've had the chance to kind of digest all that goes into uh, these conversations and this situation in particular, What's your take on where things stand between Levy and Oklahoma and Alabama right now? 
So I have no doubt that Alabama is interested. And yes, things didn't go completely smoothly for the Oklahoma Sooners in you know his first season as the offensive coordinator. But he still had a really good season where his team averaged 35 points per game in a year in which they actually had a shutout. So you, know, you take that shutout away and it bumps up to like a little over 36 points per game for the season. That's a really good year. Uh, in a year in which you know they had transition on the offensive line, they had you know, different guys stepping into new roles. Uh, Braden Willis was a first-year starter. Jalil Farouk, a first-year starter. And they really were, for the most part, really good offensively. They had moments where they weren't very good, but for the most part, overall, big-picture view, they were really, really good. So it doesn't surprise me that a guy like Nick Saban would see an offensive coordinator who's had success at every stop he's been as an offensive coordinator and think, hey, let me see if I can pluck Jeff Levy away from Oklahoma, especially given the recruiting prowess that Levy has displayed over the last year since he's been in Norman. So it doesn't surprise me. I, I, I'm like you, that I would have a really, really hard time believing that Jeff Levy would want to leave or that he'd be interested in leaving, given the fact that it is his alma mater. He's got relationships with the university, with Brent Venables, with the coaching staff, key relationships with the players as well. And so after one year, it would surprise me. But college coaches, man, you can never tell exactly what they're going to do. And as you mentioned, if the money's right, maybe that could be part of it. One thing that I've kind of talked about on our, on our podcast as well is what about just the Nick Saban blessing? We see so many times offensive coordinators going to Alabama to kind of, I don't even know what the right word is here, but to just get a bump in their career, whether it was Steve Sarkeesian, you know, uh, Bill O'Brien, who now appears to be rumored to, go, to be going back to New England, um, is it possible that given all of the things that have kind of gone on and transpired uh, for a lot of the guys that were on that Baylor staff, could he kind of be seeking that Nick Saban blessing that would give athletic directors across the country more capability of, of hiring him as a, a head coach one day? I, I don't know if that's the case, but you know, we, we see kind of the reaction, what's happened with Kendall Bryles down at TCU. Um, and Art Bryles not being able to get a job since this has all transpired. And, again, that's kind of just me thinking out loud. But the Nick Saban blessing carries a lot of weight in a lot of places across the country. If you were to work for him, that would go a long way with your career. At the same time, he's at a great place in Oklahoma with a great you know, guy in Brent Venable, somebody who's very, very well respected across the country. And they are building something that's going to be special in Norman. Uh, and Jeff Levy's done a great, great job recruiting. They've done a really good job on the field. Now it's a matter of putting things together offensively and defensively for them to take another step as a team. What do you make of the criticism of Levy from this past season? Uh, and obviously Oklahoma struggled overall. There really wasn't an area of this football program that was completely immune from criticism throughout the course of a 2022 campaign that ultimately witnessed Oklahoma finish 6-7, and seven, their first losing season since 1998. But you think a guy like Jeff Lebby would be getting this kind of attention from somebody like Nick Saban if he wasn't really, really good at his job? You're exactly right. Nick Saban doesn't go after bad coaches. Like he doesn't, especially you know, bad coaches that are really highly paid somewhere else, and he's going to have to get them a bump in order to come. So... I think the, the Jeff Levy criticism, there's good criticism, there's constructive criticism for this offense. They weren't good on third down. They weren't good on fourth down. They weren't good in the red zone consistently enough. Excuse me. 
And so this is a, a team that has to get better in those areas for 2023. Uh, some of it was an execution thing. Some of it, and, and I've had my own criticism of just how often they throw behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, the Eric Gray swing passes that are five yards deep behind the line of scrimmage. It just seemed like a lot of teams were starting to key on those things and not being aggressive enough and playing towards the sticks. But that's that's key element. Those are key elements to the Jeff Levy offense, the screen game, the, the swing pass game. But big picture view, again, like we talked about, this was a really good offense. They were one of the best offenses in the country. They had some issues. They got to get better on third down, got to get better on fourth down. And really – quit playing for fourth down as much as they did it seemed like at times that they were they were settling a little bit for hey we're gonna we got two downs here to get a first down so we'll just run a you know a draw play here on third down set us up with a manageable fourth down we'll you know play for first down every down and you don't have to play for you don't have to try to convert third down or fourth down but those are just kind of nitpicking issues for an offense that was really good John, you look at what Oklahoma's already brought in via the portal and you know obviously we're talking about what Oklahoma might have uh, outgoing with the smoke for Jeff Levy to Alabama. But let's talk about what they have incoming. And with regard to the Levy conversation, one of the things that you mentioned was that Brent Venables looks like he's building a beast in Oklahoma, and that starts with turning over the roster, which Oklahoma has done over the last two off seasons in particular, Proste- processed a whole bunch of guys after this 2022 season ended. And now they've dipped into the portal for another dozen scholarship additions. So you look at this portal class top to bottom, and the Sooners aren't done. We mentioned that they hosted Virginia linebacker Nick Jackson over the weekend. But with what Oklahoma has committed right now out of the portal, who are some of the guys that you would point to as guys that you anticipate being legitimate contributors, not just in 2023 but beyond for OU? So, I mean, it starts with Deshaun McCullough. That dude is just an athletic freak that you could line up on the edge, and he's probably a six, seven sack guy. You could play him at Cheetah, which it sounds like that's what they're considering. His versatility, having played safety in high school, allows him to, to do that. But he's going to be a really, really impactful player because of his length. He's going to be able to cut down on throwing windows, really take away a lot of the middle of the field stuff that did hurt Oklahoma a lot this year. And then, you know, Ronald Bothroyd, I mean, that dude is a playmaker. At Wake Forest, you know, 14 and a half sacks, 20-plus tackles for losses over the last two years. That is really good production, and it's hard to find that production in the transfer portal. That guy should be honestly going to the NFL and would probably be a top 100 pick uh, going to the league just based on his production alone. But the fact that you're getting him here, a versatile you know, defensive lineman that can play some you know, three-man defensive end, some interior defensive tackle, especially three-tech in pass rushing situations, I think that's a really, really – huge addition for this this defense and and then you know Walter Rouse like that's a big get for your left tackle spot 2,500 plus snaps 39 starts over four years at Stanford in an offense that loves to pound the rock so you think about an Oklahoma running game that was really really good uh, in 2022 with Eric Gray and that offensive line you add a guy with like Walter Rouse who's a really good run blocker as well and Man, you're, you're going to be in good shape along the offensive front. I like the addition of Andrew Anthony. I think that provides a deep threat option for you in the wake of Marvin Mims leaving. That, that wide, receiver, wide receiver two position, you know, opposite of Jaleel Farouk, is going to be a really interesting competition with all the guys that they've added over the last two years, both in the recruiting front and on the tra- in the transfer portal. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. I love, love, love the addition of Reggie Pearson. I think this, this team needed an edge at times on defense. They needed somebody that played with the ferocity and a tenacity. And 
there were times where it felt like they were lacking that grit and that determination. And we saw him, you know, firsthand uh, when Oklahoma played Texas Tech, just the way he's able to lay the lumber. And that you need somebody like that. You need a guy that's going to be able to make those kind of game-changing, legal game-changing hits. And, and he's able to do that. So I really, really like that addition. It'll be interesting to see you know, if he ends up being a starter as a box safety or if he you know, rotates in there as they like to rotate their safeties. But I really, really like that addition. I, I think they've done a really, really great job. And then Austin Stogner. Let's not forget Austin Stogner. I mean, no, let's the not. the guy that kind of got forgotten the shuffle a little bit uh, in that you know, three-headed monster they had at H back in 2021 with Jeremiah Hall and Braden Willis and Austin Stogner. Like it, we saw what Braden Willis was able to do with a – you know, full time starting, you know, full complement of snaps at tight end. Austin Stogner is going to be able to have as much of an impact, if not more, in the receiving game. You know, Braden Willis may be a little bit better of a blocker, but that's a dude. And getting him back, that's a huge, huge addition. And it happened so long ago. I think it's easy to forget that that he did end up committing to come to come back to Oklahoma. And you know, credit to him and Joe John Finley for realizing, hey, this is a relationship that really, really works for us. Let's just do it. Let's run it back. And you know. I think it takes sometimes a lot of humility to be able to you know, go back to a place uh, that you'd been previously and you'd left. And, and so credit to Austin Stogner for just kind of being able to put, put some things aside, you know, after leaving to go to South Carolina for a year and, and realize, Hey, that's a really good situation I had in Norman and, and returning uh, for what I think is going to be a huge, huge year for him in 2023. John Williams, managing editor, Sooners Wire, our guest here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. John, before we let you go, I got to ask you about your Dallas Cowboys, man. Is it about Dak or is it about everybody else? Why is it that this team can get to the divisional round and no further? Bro, this is this is not today. No, it it <laughs> was very disappointing to watch that game last night unfold. It was you know one of Dak's worst playoff performances. There's no two ways around that. I'm as big of a Dak Prescott proponent as you'll find um, in the Dallas Cowboy Twitter sphere. I used to cover the Dallas Cowboys for InsideTheStar.com, and for years, you know, promoting what Dak is able to bring to the table. But he did not play well yesterday. Not and not just the two interceptions regularly thrown behind guys. Uh, the C.D. Lamb catch that was incredible. You know, he he shorts that throw. Uh, C.D. has to make a really great play on that. Obviously, he gets the the DPI call on it too, but man, they've, they've got to improve the talent as well though. You know, it's, it was a Dak issue last night, but we saw a week ago, Dak played fantastic against Tampa Bay, but against one of the better defenses in the league in San Francisco, they just didn't have enough talent offensively to be able to make the plays in the passing game. Tony Pollard going down in the second quarter was absolutely killer because aside from CD lamb, Tony Pollard, your only other explosive player, someone who can you know create a first down with every single touch or, you know, hit a home run for a touchdown. Uh, so they got they got to get better. Um, Dak's got to be better. That that was not a good game for him. He knows he's got to be better. This is going to be a really really critical offseason. The issue is there's no other option. Like you're locked into a big time contract with a big time cap hit with Dak Prescott. So there's nowhere else to turn. So he's got to get better. Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, Will McClay, the front office, they've got to improve the talent around him as well be able to take advantage because you look at that San Francisco 49ers team we've seen enough Brock Purdy and you know no disrespect to Brock Purdy you know the the Norman native but we saw enough of him at Iowa State to know like he's playing probably some of the best football of his life but he's also got a lot of talent around him that's helping him out we saw yesterday when you know when pressured it it didn't go smoothly for him 
Uh, and then you look at Jalen Hurts. Like, Jalen Hurts is having a great year, but they've got a really good team around him as well. A great offensive line, great weapons at receiver. And so I, I think that's what make, what's making the difference. That was what made the difference in the Cincinnati-Buffalo game, the talent. And Joe Burrow's a great player, but he's got one of the best wide receiver trios in the NFL, and they were able to beat a Buffalo team on the road in the snow because that talent is what ultimately you know overcame all of it. And Joe Mixon obviously had a great game as well. So Dallas has got to get better talent-wise. Dak Prescott's got to be better in the playoffs, in clutch situations. And, yeah, that's kind of where I sit today on a, on a Monday morning uh, armchair quarterbacking a little bit. John Williams, Sooners Wire. John, thanks so much for your time. We'll catch up with you again. Hey, always a pleasure, Parker. Have a good day. That is John Williams joining us via the Riverwind Casino jackpot line. Going to hit a quick break here, and we'll be back to wrap up hour number one on Steel Man and Thune. Coming up next, this is the Ref Sports Radio Network. Steel Man and Thune at noon on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you. Steely's out today. Hope to have him back tomorrow. As we wrap up hour number one, a couple things on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Mike in Springfield said, did I hear John Williams say Brock Purdy is a Norman native? Uh, I don't believe you heard that, Mike. I think what happened is either you confused Brock Purdy with George Kittle or John confused Brock Purdy with George Kittle. Yeah, one or the other. I, didn't, yeah. I did not hear that, but yeah. yeah. George, George Kittle. Kittle, Norman High. Yeah, Norman High. I believe he only played there his freshman year. Fairly certain he was only there one year. I could be wrong on that. But, uh, yeah, George Kittle's from Norman. Brock Purdy is not. Brock Purdy's from Arizona. Uh, another listener says, so the euphemism for pulling your scholarship is processing. Is BB processing only Riley recruits, or are there Venable's mistakes that are being processed as well? Look, the nature of processing, and this is a longer conversation than the 30 seconds that we have here before the top of the hour break, but... It's not pulling a scholarship. It's Brent Venables having an honest conversation with a player in which he informs the player, look, uh, it's probably not going to ever come together for you at Oklahoma based on the way that things are headed, so I think it would befit you to get in the transfer portal and look for a fit elsewhere. Uh, We're not going to force you out the door, but just letting you know you are not in the plans for the future at the University of Oklahoma. So that's the nature of the beast. We We can get into that a bit more. In hour number two here. But for now, we got to hit a break here at the top of the hour. Steel Man and Thune at Noon. This is the Ref Sports Radio Network. Come back with us. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you on Steel Man and Thune at Noon on this Monday. Hoping to have Steely back in the fold tomorrow. He is sidelined due to injury at the moment. Listed as probable for tomorrow. So, hopefully it's just a one-and-done type of medical issue for Steely, who's dealing with, to my understanding... A pretty severe toothache today. So, Steely, hope you're recovering well. I know he's listening right now. He always is, even when he's not on the air. But uh, this is the Ref Sports Radio Network. This is Steel Man and Thune at Noon. Shoot us a text on the Air Comfort Solutions text line 405-651-3439 if you want to interact with us, get your questions answered, get your opinions aired. <laughs> I guess I guess so, John Williams uh, really did say uh, – Brock Purdy was from Norman. Yes, but, but we get had, the point. We yeah, get yeah. the point. He had him confused with. with George Kittle. Pretty easy mistake to make. They both went to colleges in Iowa. Uh, it is what it is. But yes, Kittle. Kittle, Kittle yeah, Kittle graduated from Norman. He moved in. I forgot where he moved in from. Was it Wisconsin? Did or, he graduate I, from Norman? High? Yeah, he graduated huh. from Norman High. Okay, there you go. Uh, somebody on the text line said, "Oh no, Steel Man out with the gout." Not remotely. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. Steely is really old. 
but he does not have gout, at least not to our knowledge. Uh, why, why is it, Connor, that people are sending texts as if Jeff Lebby is going to leave Oklahoma? Yeah, I know. We are, yeah, we already got. Yeah, we already got someone saying, "What would Joe John uh, Finley's offense look like?" Just assuming that Lebby's going to leave, which I'm right there with you. I just I don't see that happening. whatsoever. Yeah, and look, I will acknowledge we've all been wrong on this kind of thing before, right? Yes, we have with Lincoln yeah. Riley. Yep, because nobody thought Lincoln Riley was going to leave Oklahoma based on the comments that he made based on the word from within the Switzer Center, and then lo and behold, he leaves everybody in the dark, gets up on a Sunday morning, and decides he's going to be the next head coach at USC. So, I don't want to completely disavow this, because in today's era of college football, in which there is more money being thrown around than ever before, nothing is a surefire lock, stock, and barrel guarantee. But I cannot fathom Jeff Lebby leaving the University of Oklahoma at this juncture, if for no other reason than the fact that he just recruited Jackson Arnold to OU. Exactly. And I know everybody has asked, well, if Jeff Lebby leaves, is Jackson Arnold going to follow? No. No, he won't. Jackson Arnold is a Sooner. Even if Jeff Lebby were to leave, you'd still have JFA as your quarterback of the future. Now, obviously, it would affect things down the line as it pertains to Oklahoma's quarterback recruiting in particular. Uh, I don't know that Michael Hawkins would be off the table, but the Sooners would certainly have to show him some things that, uh, I, I, just in general, they would have to come up with a recruiting pitch to him centered around their new offense sans Jeff Levy, which we have no idea what that look, would look like because we have no idea who the next offensive coordinator at Oklahoma would be. But again, I think this conversation is pretty moot because I can't fathom a circumstance and left Jeff, Jeff Levy were offered some ridiculous amount of money, four or five million bucks, to go be the OC at Alabama. It would it would next- just be it would just be weird to be at Oklahoma for a year. The offensive coordinator position at Oklahoma is a great spot to be at. I know there's gonna be a little bit more money at Bama, but I just I don't know why he would leave. Nor do I. And again, I I think Jeff Levy <laughs> As it pertains to his tenure at Oklahoma, it's not going to last forever. That much is evident. He's going to be in high demand as a head coaching hire down the line. I think the next step for him will be a head coaching job. And I think that will come pretty quickly. I think within three to four years, at the most, Lebby has a Power 5 head coaching job. That just appear to be, that appears to be where things are headed. But right now, he's at Oklahoma. He's got Jackson Arnold locked up. He's been integral in Oklahoma's portal recruiting to this point. He's very much bought in to what's going on at the University of Oklahoma. And so, for many reasons, that being one of the chief of them, I don't foresee Jeff Lebby leaving. And this, um, but this spot's not even open. <laughs> and, but. again, yes, Alabama does not have a vacancy at offensive coordinator officially right now. Uh, back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line here. Uh, why doesn't OU offer Parker Livingstone? That would be the four-star, almost four-star, the highest of three stars right now. Uh, high three-star wide receiver out of Lovejoy High School in the state of Texas, Lucas, Texas. And this is a kid that has extensive ties to Oklahoma. Dad grew up out in Chandler. OU has been his dream school. And Oklahoma has not offered him, despite the fact that 
over 20 other programs have, schools like Texas, Georgia, Oregon, Florida State, Tennessee, etc. Now, here's what is important to remember here. Oklahoma has only offered one 2024 receiver since Cale Gundy departed the program in August. That one offer went out to T.J. Moore, the four-star wide receiver out of Tampa Catholic, who's a high school teammate of Lewis Carter. So that was an offer that Oklahoma kind of had to make. You get a guy that's that highly regarded, that's a teammate of one of your current signees, you kind of have to offer the kid. So that was the only offer at wide receiver that Oklahoma made in the 2024 class after Cale Gundy's dismissal from the program in early August. Since then, there has not been a single new offer to a 2024 receiver. So yes, Oklahoma has not offered Parker Livingstone, but I was actually down there in Lovejoy this weekend, uh, stopped by, talked to Parker, kind of got the pulse of his recruitment, and he's a kid that gets it. He understands that Oklahoma hasn't offered any receivers since Gundy left. He understands that he's not the only one that's being slow played, if you will. And slow played really isn't even the word or the term that I would use necessarily. But he realizes he's not the only 2024 receiver that's having to wait on Oklahoma. And I do think we're not too far out from Emmett Jones making the rounds and starting to extend some offers in that 2024 cycle. Because if you look at the current offer sheet, there are some guys that they are already in pretty good standing with just by virtue of their connections to the school. For instance, I look at a guy like Bryant Wesco out of Midlothian, Texas, four-star kid, number 24 nationally among wide receivers. His sister plays soccer at Oklahoma. So immediate in for the Sooners. They were one of the very first programs to offer him at the FBS level. I think they were his fourth or fifth offer. So OU's in a real good spot for a kid like Bryant Wesco. I firmly believe that Livingstone ends up being top 30 among receivers by the end of this cycle. I don't know that there are much more than 20, 25 receivers nationally that are better than the kid. So, Speaking of, speaking of receivers, someone asked if we gave up on the Bowling Green uh, receiver. Yes. Yes, they did. They decided that, process, that process was just taken forever, it seemed like. And it was. And it, and it was because OU didn't want to take him. That's what it boiled down to. He wanted to commit to Oklahoma after the visit. OU decided, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. We're going to set our sights elsewhere at the wide receiver position. So it took a little while, but he caught the attention of the Arkansas Razorbacks. They hosted him on a visit. He ended up there. So that's uh, And that's Tyrone Broden that we're referring Broden, to. Broden, yep. Yes. Uh, Santa John on the text line says, Within the 24-7 sports video interview, Walter Rouse said he has twice injured his labrum and needs surgery and was waiting until after he was with his NFL team if he had declared for the draft. Is the plan for him to have surgery while at OU, and if so, when and where? Well, Santa John, that's a lot of information that we are not privy to. I cannot tell you when and where Walter Rouse is going to be having his surgery. Uh, But yes, his labrum is going to need to heal up. The expectation is that he will have more than enough time prior to fall camp to get that injured labrum dealt with and that he will be in the mix to start at offensive tackle, a guy that I would expect to start at offensive tackle for Oklahoma this year. Did this happen this past year, the labrum? Yes. Okay. Yes. So he was – I think when he was on his visit, he was in a sling too. Yeah. So, yeah, the labrum injury is current. It is legit. It's something that's going to need some medical attention. 
I don't know when and where he's going to have the surgery. I don't know how I would go about finding that out. But uh, but that, that, that that's situation. a kid. Yeah, but that's a kid you expect to come in and uh, be a, be a starter on the offensive line. There's no reason why he should. No, there's no at reason. This point. And if if Jacob Sexton hadn't injured his ACL in the bowl game, then maybe that conversation's different because you got a guy in Tyler Guyton that I think is in line to start a one tackle spot. And then Jacob Sexton was kind of the other guy that you had pegged coming into 2023 as your other starting tackle. But with Sexton injured and with the recovery timetable always unclear with those types of injuries, especially among offensive linemen, Rouse is a guy that is, I believe right now, in line to be a starter. And that, that stinks for Sexton. I mean, that was a great opportunity for him in that bowl game. And what, in the first, was it like the second play in the game he goes out? I mean, I just hate that for him. Yeah, I th- it was it was the very first play, and from what I understood, he actually injured it before the game, tried to play on it, didn't realize the severity, and then all it took was one play for him to realize, yeah, this is this is not going to work. He's a tough kid, really tough kid, and I expect that he will blow the recovery timetable out of the water because he's so tough. Uh, on the text line elsewhere, a few commitments today are these PWO offers from what seems like was an in-state visit weekend this past few days. Yes, we actually talked about that. Right off the top oh, yeah. <laughs> in the 12 <laughs> yeah. o'clock hour. Yep. This, to me, is big for Oklahoma going forward because you want to make sure you have a strong PWO presence among the guys within state lines that are productive at the high school level but maybe don't have some of the key athletic traits necessary to get them on the radar for Power 5 programs across the country because, as we've seen time and time and time again in the past – you take a chance on a kid like that, you give him a roster spot, some of those guys are going to really pop. And they're going to take it upon themselves as a challenge. And they're going to make sure that they do everything within their power to get on the field at the University of Oklahoma and contribute. Yep, and Drake Stoops did just that. Play free, play with nothing to lose, day in and day out. Uh, somebody on the text line. Someone asked about that or – about Dallas, I'm surprised we haven't mentioned uh, the Dallas Cowboys yet. Uh, yeah, well, I just, yesterday, I, you know, this is the home of Sooner it fans. Is, yep, we don't yep, spend a whole no. lot of time talking <laughs> NFL, but about all I can say about that last play for the Dallas Cowboys was that it was a debacle <laughs> and an embarrassment. If you were going to have Zeke Elliott snap the ball, you might as well just put all skill position guys on the field. Yeah. They had four offensive linemen that they split out wide. Just like why? Very, uh, very similar to what the Colts did on that uh, fake punt, a little bit. But yeah, if you watch Zeke right after he snaps it, he just gets blown to the ground right after that play. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious for me as someone that had no vested rooting interest in that football no. game. I can only imagine it was pain on top of pain for Dallas Cowboys fans that have had to watch their team get bounced in the divisional round for what feels like ten years in a row now. And and having so many opportunities to win that game too. I mean, I just yeah, just it just sucks for Dallas fans. I'm not a Dallas fan, but I mean, we I know we got plenty in Oklahoma. Keep lighting up the Air Comfort Solutions text line 405-651-3439. We will continue to field your questions and air your opinions as the show rolls on. Steel Man and Thune at noon here on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Second hour of the show brought to you by Seth Wadley and the Seth Wadley Auto Group down there in Paul's Valley. We're gonna be right back. With another award-winning segment, as Mike Steely would say. No Steely today. Parker Thune, Connor Pasby here with you. Until 2 p.m., this is The Ref. Keep it right here. Steel Man and Thune at noon 
on the Ref Sports Radio Network. No Steely today. Parker Thune, Connor Pasby here with you. All across the Sooner State and the world, whether you're listening on AM, FM, or the KREF app, we appreciate you joining us and making us part of your afternoon here on the Ref. We are brought to you here in the second hour by the Seth Wadley Auto Group down in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 is where you want to head for a newer used vehicle and a phenomenal deal with great service after the sale from Seth Wadley and the Seth Wadley Auto Group. We greatly appreciate their sponsorship of the program. Back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line we go. A listener in the 918 asks, Parker, whatever happened to Bentavius Thompson? Never heard anything about him. Uh, No, you did not. And he is out of eligibility. He's not going to be coming back. But that was, yeah, that was a guy that came over from UCF, followed Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy after getting dismissed from the program at UCF midway through the 2021 season. Had one year of eligibility left, decided to use it at at Oklahoma as a preferred walk-on. And never touched the field, to my recollection, odd, yeah. Connor. Yeah, a lot, a lot of excitement around that uh, kid too. But we never, uh, never saw him on the field. And he was a great running back uh, out of the backfield. And I guess you could say the same thing about the the Washington running back. Well, Emeka Megwa was never eligible to play in 2022 either. So uh, that's a guy that I actually expect will be at least somewhat in the mix for snaps next year. That's a big. Uh, it's, that's a big running back with, yeah, <laughs> with exactly. a lot of size. And when you're talking about a goal line back, yeah. And Mecca Meg was that guy. You need a hammer, that's going to be his role. Now, Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck are going to get the vast majority of the action out of the backfield for Oklahoma next year. I t- and this brings up the Marcus Major conversation again. Because he's still there, doesn't seem like he's going anywhere, sooner for life, but man, I just... I t- I haven't seen it with him. No. And we've seen flashes. We've seen things that would indicate that Marcus Major has a bright future at Oklahoma and that maybe he's a better back than we've all given him credit for. But then again, for every for every exciting run, for every couple broken tackles, every trip to the end zone that he has, there are three or four weeks where he just goes completely invisible yeah, and incon- hardly touches the field. Yeah, inconsistency and – uh, the game against Florida in that Cotton Bowl, which feels like forever ago. I mean, we saw uh, Marcus Major at his best, but just not being able to get on the field, game in and day out, it, it just really hasn't panned out for uh, Major. I know we get him for another year, see if he does uh, has much better play for next season, but I think it will be hard with him, with Barnes and Solchuk back, and you missing the Washington running back that can come in and be a goal line guy. So I think, I think it's really hard for Major. Yeah, not only that, but I think Dalen Smothers, even Smothers in year one, too, yeah. is going to make some noise. And I just, at this point, I think the window's closed for Marcus Major. I'd love to be wrong. I'd love for him to be a Paul Thompson type that pops off as a fifth or even sixth year senior for the very first time. But I just don't see, short of an injury to Barnes or Sawchuck that sidelines one or the other for a substantial amount of time. I can't fathom a situation in which Marcus Major has enough of a share of the carries to make an impact. And it felt like a lot of times he was I think he was tackled very easily, he didn't break tackles that you would think he would break. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just been it's just been really hard for Marcus Major. I mean, you really hate it. 
because there's there's excitement around that kid too. Everybody's excited for him to get on the field, make something happen, but he just never did. Yeah, it seems to me he falls in the same camp as a guy like Justin Broyles, right? Homegrown talent. He does, yes. Again, sooner for life. Never really has any desire to play anywhere else. A lot of guys in his shoes would have transferred at a certain point, but here he is still sticking it out. And, and you saw just... you saw great plays out of him, but then times where a wide receiver just got, just got behind him and he just didn't make some plays. And at this point in the running back room for Oklahoma, not only do you got, got Barnes, you got Sawchuck, you got Smothers, you also got Caleb Hicks, and somebody on the text line says, don't sleep on Hicks, that boy good, and he is was very productive from his freshman year at Denton Ryan High School. So that's a guy that uh, I would say is probably a year or two off just based on the current depth in the running back room. But, no, Caleb Hicks I think is another guy that has a bright future ahead of himself in the running back room at Oklahoma. Someone says, besides Audubare, who else for the incoming D-line freshman can make an impact next season? Uh, I, the one name that kind of makes the most sense would be Derek LeBlanc. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's an avenue where that could happen. It just depends on how many of those interior guys actually pan out for Oklahoma because you've got a lot of numbers right now. You have a lot of names, a lot of players in that interior defensive line picture that uh, are going to compete for snaps. You just don't know how good any of them are going to be, quite yeah. honestly. Well, we do know about Isaiah Coe Isaiah coming Coe's, back. Yeah. Other than that, though. Isaiah Coe is the one guy that you can count on, I would say, being a starter. Other than that, I think, man, I think those positions are up for grabs. They really are, and that's why Derek LeBlanc has as good of a chance as anybody and will be given as much as an opportunity uh, as everybody else to make some noise uh, on the interior defensive line. He does need to bulk up. Yeah, a he bit. is. A, he's a little undersized little, for inter- interior uh, D-line. little light in the britches, but Schmidt will get him right in that regard. I think when you're talking about the freshman class, uh, in the front seven defensively, man, it's P.J. Adebare and everybody else. And yeah. I've said it many a time, it's going to be very difficult to keep him off the field because he's just that freaking good. And I understand that Oklahoma has depth at defensive end. They got Ethan Downs. They got Marcus Stripling, R. Mason Thomas, Reggie Grimes. But P.J. Adebare at a certain point is going to be too dang good to deny and it could honestly be the second he steps on campus. Yeah, he's I mean, he's a freaking nature from the get-go, right when he gets right when he gets to Norman. I feel like he can beat some of those guys out, but we'll see. Yeah, Brian and Tulsa ask what's your thought thoughts on Taylor Wine, uh, the three-star edge commit out of Nolensville, Tennessee. A really underrated prospect and a guy that jumped onto the scene late in recruiting circles, had a really strong senior season, and I think he's got a high ceiling. I just don't know that he's as ready as PJ is. I think there are very few players overall, not just defensive ends, but players overall in the 2023 class that are as college ready as PJ Adabare. We're talking about a guy that's six foot five, 240 pounds, and has a seven one wingspan. God does not make many creatures like no. PJ Adabare. There, no, and there's a reason why he's a five star. We've seen it on the field, we've seen the tape. Uh, we got people trying to compare Autobarre to other NFL <laughs> there, there's, guys. There's no comp. There's Chase no comp. Young. Someone said Chase Young. No, I, I wouldn't even see. I wouldn't even say Chase Young is an adequate comp because he's so unique as a player. PJ is, and his length combined with his power, to me, like I, and I'm sure there are guys that have fit that mold in the past offhand. 
I can't come up with. I've never been able to really come up with a guy that would say, yeah, that's that's P.J. Atabare before P.J. Atabare ever came around. He's one of a kind, man, and that's why, barring injury, I think you can count on P.J. being an all-conference guy for multiple years at the University maybe, of Maybe Oboe, Okoronko a little bit around the edge just based on just being a freak of an athlete, but I think Atabare's, you know, a little bit taller than Oboe. Yeah, no, I'll just... I, I'll go ahead and say this. If P.J. Atabare is developed properly and he produces in line with what I expect him to produce at, if he's a double-digit sack guy for a couple straight years at the University of Oklahoma, he has the physical tools and traits to be a top-10 NFL draft pick. Like, we're talking about a guy who, from from purely a physical perspective— has some of the highest inherent NFL draft stock of any sooner of the last 10 to 15 years. Because again, when it comes to the physique, when it comes to the length and the power and the speed, there are very few guys like P.J. Atabare, not just in this class, but in any of the classes that I've covered going back years. Uh, somebody said too tall Jones, Charles oh, no. Haley. Oh, no. I, I haven't been alive long enough to reliably make those comparisons. No. But, but his first step is just ridiculous, Parker. Yeah, and if you if for those that got the chance to see him at the Under Armour All American Game down in Orlando, and saw some of the reps that he took in practice throughout the week, and there was nobody that could touch the no, game. he's he, just, he's he and, beaten yeah he's beaten some of the best right in front of him. He and DJ Hicks were in a league of their own, and. To me, there's a very clear top tier among the top defensive line prospects in the 2023 cycle. It is David Hicks, it's Keon Keeley, it's P.J. Atabare, and those three are head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, (laughs) Shane in Newcastle says, new Alabama head coach Jeff Levy. Get out of here, Shane in Newcastle. (laughs) We don't Uh, don't want that. Here's actually, this is an interesting comparison. PJ reminds me of Odafe Uwe on the Ravens. Otega Uwe's older brother. Yeah. Actually, former Penn State Nittany Lion, first round draft pick of the Baltimore Ravens. I think that's actually a pretty decent comp. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think you're just comparing any freak (laughs) of a nature around the edge. Yeah. Somebody said, you mean the number 21 player on rivals? Yes. That's PJ Atabari, I'm sure. Tyler McComas will have plenty of thoughts at the top of the two o'clock hour on the new rankings update from Rivals today. All right, we're going to hit a quick break here. Coming right back on the Ref Sports Radio Network, Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you until 2 o'clock. Steelman and Thune at noon. Keep it right here. You're listening to the Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Welcome back to Steelman and Thune at noon. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you. No Steely today. It is the Ref Sports Radio Network. This hour brought to you by the Seth Wadley Auto Group down there in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 is where you'll want to head for a phenomenal deal on a new or used vehicle. From the Seth Wadley Auto Group, get phenomenal service after the sale as well. That outstanding promise of oil changes and engines for life at no additional cost to you. That is the promise of the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Appreciate their sponsorship of the program. Connor, as we go back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line here, this is going to be the eternal question over the next few years. What if the Sooners had signed P.J. Atabare and David Hicks? That would be something. Yeah. 
It's possible. Now, look, I think you give it two years, Oklahoma's going to have a dominant defensive line across the board one way or another because I think in this 2024 class, Oklahoma's in really good shape to get a commitment from David Stone, the Dell City native. I like where they stand with Williams and Winery, the nation's number one defensive lineman out of Lee Summit, Missouri. Zadavian Sims is a guy that's going to be back on campus this coming weekend and a guy that Oklahoma has been in really good standing for uh, for quite some time here. And for those that missed it at the top of the program, yes, the newest Oklahoma staff addition is graduate assistant James Skalski, who is a former Brent Venables linebacker, was a first-team All-ACC selection in 2021, and was a three-year starter at Clemson, a guy that really was the heart and soul of that Clemson defense over the last couple years that Venables was in town as their D.C. Listener on the text line asks, how big of an impact will James Skalski be on development of linebackers in Norman or any recruiting of linebackers in the future? Thanks. Have a great day. Appreciate the text. I, I'll be honest, Connor, there's, there's really no way of knowing. I, I'd love to be able to speculate as to an answer to that question. I'd love to sit here and be the take machine. Uh, I'd love to go Colin Cowherd on this question, but James Skalski has never coached in his life. This is a new venture for him. Uh, he went to training camp with the Indianapolis Colts this past year, didn't make the 53-man roster, and apparently has decided that he's going to just go straight into coaching. There is no way of knowing how much of an impact he's going to have on linebacker development or linebacker recruiting. So I think within a few months, we'll certainly have an idea. If you start seeing uh, linebacker recruits who make visits to Norman start talking about James Skalski as a guy that they connect with and bond well with, then great. I think this is, regardless, anytime you bring in a guy with a resume as extensive as a player as that of James Skalski, you're excited about it. But I don't know if we truly will know how much of an impact he's going to have for at least a few months to come. Yeah, we won't know until a little later on, but... Yopi has a big impact. I mean, the dude was a really good football player at Clemson and was with Venables for you know all five of those years. I think someone said he's the first uh, first player in the ACC, ACC conference uh, to win to win the ACC championship all four all five years in his uh, college career. So I mean, the resume is there, but we won't find out. But there's been really good football players that have gotten to coaching, and this is where it starts right here. By the way. We talk a lot about cultural fit at the University of Oklahoma and the reality that Venables and this staff are only recruiting and only make a point to recruit players that reflect the values of the institution, of the coaching staff, of the athletic department at the University of Oklahoma. <laughs> and there were, a lot of, there were a lot of people that wondered why OU didn't push hard for Ra Ra Thomas, the wide receiver, formerly of Mississippi State. Well, maybe this will provide an answer. I'm citing an ESPN story from the front page of their site today. Bra-Ra Thomas ended up transferring to Georgia. And this morning, he was arrested on a felony charge of false imprisonment and misdemeanor battery family violence, according to an athens Clark County jail official. He was arrested at 4.40 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, released on Monday after posting bond. And under the University of Georgia's Athletic Association guidelines, he faces an immediate 
suspension. Yeah, that's not, so, the, that's not the culture you want, right, no, Parker? No, no. And again, I, it, it's one of those things that softens the blow in hindsight when you think about the fact that Oklahoma only added one wide receiver via the transfer portal in Andrew Anthony. There were a lot of folks that were clamoring for uh, Ra Ra Thomas to end up at Oklahoma. A lot of folks that were clamoring for uh, Oklahoma to take the Bowling Green transfer, Tyrone Broden. And again, that just goes to show you that there is more to these situations than generally meets the eye from the public perspective. Yeah, and then more more than just talent. I know everybody just looks at the talent perspective when they go after kids in the transfer portal. But, man, you also want to get guys that have the right culture to bring in, and that's a great example of what just what just happened to him uh, yesterday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, th- this, is, this is fantastic. I'd forgotten about this. We got a text from a listener in the 918. Uh, pretty cool story I read about Skalski and BV. BV was very hard on him when he first arrived at Clemson. So hard that Skalski tried to straight-up quit football. Him and BV had a heart-to-heart, and they both cried while talking it out. Skalski stuck it out, and the rest is history. Yeah, I forget who I was talking to about the BV and Skalski dynamic, but this goes back to right when BV was hired. I remember somebody that had knowledge of this interaction telling me, yeah, Skalski went to BV and told him I'm quitting. And BV basically said, no, you're not. Put his arm around him, <laughs> walked him back to the offices. They sat down. They had a conversation. And obviously, Skalski ends up being one of the most productive defensive players of the last decade for Clemson, which is saying a lot. And I, I will say this. The current James Skalski in the linebacker room at the University of Oklahoma is Jaron Kanick. And oh, if yeah. you talk to anybody in the Switzer yeah. Center, they will tell you, BV and that staff are harder on Jaron Kanick than anybody else, and it's because they understand and they realize just how high his ceiling is. And they're doing legitimately everything in their power to get him to realize that ceiling. Yeah, and they see the, see, they see the future that Kanick has, just like Skoloski. Man, shows the impact that BV had on him, and it paid out for him at Clemson. That's a two-time uh, captain for the Clemson Tigers. Jim in Arlington says, aren't there some other first-time coaches on Brent's staff? Seems like a trend. Yeah, obviously, I think Miguel Chavis is the one that's uh, most notable there. I think he's the only first-time position coach right? Yeah, for Oklahoma. Everybody else has been around. you got some guys that have certainly been in the game longer than others. Bill Biedenboe is much more of a vet than Joe John Finley when it comes to coaching. But, I know, you're seeing a lot of these guys get their start with Brent Venables and obviously James Skalski is the most recent example of that. But among the GAs, among the on-field analysts, L.D. Washington was a guy that had never been a coach before. When he got to Oklahoma, he had been on staff at Missouri in a player development role, but he had never been a coach, whether off-field or on-field. So, yeah, Venables is real big about keeping it in the family, getting his guys opportunities, and giving opportunities to guys he trusts. And again, I think if we learned anything from the Miguel Chavis experience in year one. It's that when somebody has the Brent Venables stamp of approval, it generally means they're all that they're cracked up yeah. to be. Oh, yeah. He, he has energy, and he can recruit. Uh, this listener says, according to Teddy, you should be worried if BV is not hard on you if you're a linebacker. And, yeah, that's the nature of Brent Venables' coaching style. He is hard on everybody. Yeah, you, want him, you want him to be in your face when you make a mistake. Yeah, make, make no mistake. 
uh, they are vicious with Jaron Kanick. And it's because when you have a guy like that whose physical ceiling is off the charts and who has such immense potential to be not just a great at the University of Oklahoma, but a great at the collegiate level when you're talking nationwide, you're going to make sure that that guy is getting coached as hard and as fervently and as devotedly and as consistently as he possibly can be. And that's what they're doing with Jaron Canning. Yeah, t- take no place off. We saw him in the Nebraska game. We've seen a little bit of what Jaron Canick to do. I mean, it's really exciting. And, yeah, you should be worried if Venables isn't getting in your face and he's doing just that to Canick. And I'm sure, I'm sure James Skalski – is going to preach that to all of the linebackers in Oklahoma. <laughs> I, I'm sure that anecdote. Because he's witnessed it. He's witnessed I'm it for sure, five years. I'm sure that anecdote that that 918 listener mentioned on the text line, when Skalski was that close to quitting football because BV was that hard on him, I'm pretty sure that will be told more than a few times over in the next couple of years at the University of Oklahoma. He's gone through it. He's gone through it. Exactly. And that's and another 918 listener said, Skalski is simply another voice on the defensive side that made his money without all the ability. If he ends up helping pull recruits, great, but that's a guy one year removed from college that could teach the scheme if it doesn't get through by Venables, Roof, Alexander, Mitchell, Lofton, etc. And that's another good point right there. James Skalski knows the scheme. He knows what Brent Venables is trying to accomplish with his linebackers. And linebacker is a very cerebrally demanding position in Brent Venables' defense. So, And a lot, a lot I, of the guys they have right now, this is new to him. And Skolowski's known, yeah, like I just said, he's known this scheme for five years and he can teach it to him. Precisely. And that's why I would say offhand, I think this is a really good, really impactful addition for Oklahoma. I don't know how good or how impactful – but just by virtue of the fact that he has such a rock-solid relationship with BV, that he's been coached by BV in the past, been coached very hard by BV, and the fact that he knows the scheme in addition, Skalski's a guy that you can plug and play on the staff at Oklahoma in that GA role and know that he's going to have a positive impact on those guys in the room, specifically the younger guys that, quite honestly, are probably not quite – squared with what they're actually going to get from BV when they show up to Oklahoma. I'm sure they know what they think it's going to be like playing for BV. But when push comes to shove and they're on the practice fields and BV's in their ear yelling and screaming as he is prone to do, I'm sure there's going to be a moment in time where they think, oh, my goodness. Is this really what I signed up for for the next four years? <laughs> Having a guy like James Skalski there to there reaffirm to them that, hey, this is the nature of the beast – this is what you got to get on board with, and you're going to be better off for it. That's going to be big. Robert and Harris says BV is hard on Stussman, too. Oh, yeah. We've yeah, seen again, that during the year. Again, there's nobody that BV isn't hard on. No. That's no. what BV is as a coach. All right, one more segment when we come back here on Steelman and Thune at Noon. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you on this Monday. Locked in comes your way at the top of the hour. We will talk all things OU football recruiting, myself and Tyler McComas. But – On the other side of the break, we will wrap up the 1 o'clock hour with more of your texts, more of your opinions, more of your questions. This is the Ref Sports Radio Network. Keep it here on the Home of Sooner fans. Steelman and Thune at noon, final segments of this 1 o'clock hour on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Parker Thune and Connor Pasby here with you. Shoot us a text if you got any final thoughts on the Air Comfort Solutions text line 405-651-3439. We haven't really had the chance to talk Sooner basketball yet, Connor. (laughs) 
Yeah, another, I know. Another one I know. possession loss this weekend. Yeah, happened Saturday. Another... It's just starting to get annoying now, Parker. There's so many close games that Oklahoma's just not able to pull out. That, well, that Saturday, uh, Saturday was hard. And it seems to me, Connor, that the same issues that plagued Oklahoma's football team in 2022 are the very issues that plague Oklahoma's basketball team here in the winter of 2023. And by that, what I mean is, at a certain point, close losses turn to close victories. Right, it's not going to be this way forever. It's not going to become a regularity for years and years into the future that OU's losing one possession games in conference play over and over and over again. But it is a regularity at the moment, and the reason it's a regularity at the moment is because you don't have the horses, man. You got guys that can get you in position to win a basketball game or – a football game if we want to extend the conversation to OU's 2022 season on the gridiron. But those guys don't have that juice to be able to make the winning plays in crunch time. No. I mean, you got Sherfield, uh, dude that can create his own shot. But, man, if he's not hitting, especially late in the game, that's a guy that you count on to hit the big shots. And that showed Saturday. Baylor hit two big shots, and Oklahoma just couldn't do anything late in the game. Those, I mean, those shots were just ridiculous. I mean, that shot, that three-pointer in the corner, and then the Flagler hits a really tough three-pointer to go up four. I mean, you just, you just got to tip your cap on those two shots. And I don't know whether <laughs> I, I, I guess it's encouraging, Connor, to know and understand that it's not going to be this way forever, and once you get some studs in the program, guys that want the ball in their hands in crunch time – Guys like Austin Reeves, who's been, I would say recently, the textbook example of this. A killer that you could turn to with the game on the line. I guess it's encouraging to know that once those guys get in the program, get on campus, get in the system, and start playing ball for Moser and company, that those wins are going to start coming. But it doesn't make it any more enjoyable in the moment. Because if... A few things, just a few things here and there go Oklahoma's way over the last three, four weeks. We're talking about a team that's probably in the mix for a mid-grade seed in the NCAA tournament in March, as it is. If they win like half of those close games. Yeah, exactly. As it is, this is not a team that's going to make the NCAA tournament. They're headed for the NIT. And this week, what, they got TCU – they got Alabama. Well, for, yeah, first you got, yeah. Both national top 15 teams. This is a crucial stretch for Moser and company, and the reality right now is they have to win one of those games. They've got to win one of those games. We talked about how important it was to get that win in Stillwater and Baylor before you start this three-game stretch. They go 0-2 in those, and it's not going to get uh, any easier. And it doesn't in the Big 12, which, again, at a certain point, you have to stem the tide. You have to to win a game by hook or by crook. It doesn't matter against two. It doesn't matter how. You just have to win. Otherwise, things can spiral out of control really quickly. On the Air Comfort Solutions text line, it's not that we don't have the horses. It's that neither team seems to be mentally tough, speaking of football and basketball. I think you lose close games when you're not a mentally tough team. I'm hoping that Moser and Venables can change that eventually. I, I personally don't think Oklahoma has the horses. Yeah, if, we're, if we're talking about uh, big guys underneath, I mean, Oklahoma lacks lack size. Don't get me wrong. Tanner Groves is a fine player. He's not a center. No. 
He's I mean, you're, big, you're going up against Baylor, who's got 12. athletic freaks underneath. They grabbed 17 offensive rebounds. You can't win games that way. And you can't with, win games with guys that are playing out of position. That's going to do it for Steel Man at Thune at Noon. Stick around. Locked in is on the other side. Tyler McComas and I will bring you up to speed on all things OU football recruiting. Keep it here on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans.